Well, let's open our Bibles this morning, if you will, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 4 this morning. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. I have that in my Bible, my Schofield Bible, page 998, the first book in the New Testament, Matthew, chapter number 4. Now, you're invited back to our service tonight at 530. And again, if you'll come a little bit early, that'll help us with the process of getting everybody in and getting everybody seated. Once you arrive, if you'll just... Do like you did this morning. Our ushers will help you to find a spot and get seated. And so we might be a little bit more tighter tonight than we are this morning. So if you could, if you don't mind, if you're asked to slide over to the middle or whatever, just help us with that and to be patient and we'll get through this. And hopefully in another month or two, uh, maybe we'll be back hopefully to just wide open again. And I'm sure looking forward to that, all right? Matthew chapter number 4, page 998. If you're there, would you say Amen. Lord, I want you to look this way, if you will. If you've been watching recently in our live stream services in recent days, then you may remember that really back before this started, I began a series of messages of preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm entitling this whole series, Meeting the King. You know, the four Gospels, along with the book of Acts, basically comprise for us what we call in the New Testament the historical part of our New Testament. The book of Acts basically gives us the history of the church, while the four Gospels give us the history of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, the King of Kings. Now, we know that Jesus existed long before His earthly dwelling here upon this earth. We get that. We know that. But basically... All that we know about the life of the Lord Jesus we find from the four Gospels. Uh, you know, I know you read a lot of other stuff that's out there about Jesus. I've read stories about how that Jesus as a boy took dust and threw it up in the air to become birds. I've read all of that. There's a lot of conjecture out there, but basically the truth that we know about Jesus are found in the four Gospels, the historical part of our New Testament. Now, each one of these Gospel writers presents Jesus to us in a different light, in a different picture. For instance, over in the Gospel of Mark, Mark presents Jesus to us as the suffering servant, the one who came not to be ministered to, but the one who came came to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark said, let me tell you about Jesus, the servant. Then the Gospel of Luke presents Jesus to us as the Son of Man. One of the great verses in our New Testament, Luke 19, 10. John, uh, the Bible said, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Luke tells us that Jesus was the Son of Man. Now, of course, John tells us and presents Jesus to us as the Son of God. In one of the greatest verses of the whole Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So John said, let me tell you about Jesus, the son of God. But when we come to the gospel of Matthew, Matthew says this, let me tell you about Jesus, the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Matthew, as it were, introduces Jesus to us as king. And that's the reason that I'm entitling this, this series of messages, hey, meet the king. Matthew says, let me introduce you to the king. Now in Matthew, Chapter number one, we understand, we read about the ancestry of the king, the ancestry of the king. Now, if Jesus is the king that Matthew says he is, then he's got to be able to prove that he descends from a royal lineage. So that's the reason we've got all those names back in Matthew chapter one. Matthew is just going down from one generation to the next generation, and when he comes to the end, he says, okay, Jesus is the king based upon the fact that he is of royal descent. The ancestry of the king. Then we come to chapter 2 and Matthew tells us a little bit about the arrival of the king. 
In Matthew chapter 2, we read about the wise men and the star and the angels and Herod and the chief priests and the scribes. We read all about that, those situations, those things surrounding the arrival of the king. Can I just stop and say, boy, I'm glad the king come. And can I jump ahead of myself and just say this, I'm glad the king's coming back someday as well. The arrival of the king. Then we come to chapter 3 and we read a the announcer of the king. Of course, John the Baptist is the one who came to prepare the way to announce the coming of the king. Then we come to chapter 4 and we read a little bit about the adversary of the king as Jesus is led out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights. You know in that weakened condition, in that emaciated condition, there he is amongst the jackals and the scorpions and, and the snakes and the wilderness. And there he is facing the the, the great adversary, the devil, who rolls in and begins to tempt the Son of God. Now remember, Jesus may have many enemies, many adversaries, but he has no rivals. There's nobody that can rival the authority, the power, or the name of our King. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Though he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The Bible said that God gave him a name that's above every name and that one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is the King. He's the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every angel in heaven someday is going to bow. Every seraphim, every cherubim is going to bow and say, Jesus, you're King. Everybody on this earth someday, the atheists and the agnostics and the haters and the infidels are someday going to hit their knee and say, Jesus, you're King, you're Lord. And every demon in hell and the devil himself someday right before he's cast into the lake of fire to be tormented forever and ever even the old devil himself is going to say Jesus you're Lord Jesus you're king but I'm glad to tell you he might have enemies he might have adversaries but he has no rivals friend he's king of kings and lord of lords and then in Matthew chapter 5 we read a little bit about the address of the king in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 we have the sermon on the mount but if you'll permit me this morning, in between the adversary of the king and the address of the king, in the closing verses of Matthew chapter number 4, we read a little bit about the activity of the king. Now, of course, Jesus is returning from that wilderness experience that is now behind him, and he now begins his public ministry. He was 30 years old when he was baptized. He was then driven by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and after all that's behind him now, he steps out onto the, onto the, in the spotlight of the public eye. He begins his public ministry. It'll last for a little over three years, and of course, we know, as I said from the four Gospels, what all was entailed in his public ministry. Now, we don't know everything because John said in his Gospel that if everything that Jesus had done had been written in the book, while the Bible said the world itself couldn't even contain all the books. So we don't know everything. We don't even know how many miracles he did. There are about 35 or 36 recorded in the New Testament, but we have a little bit about the activity of the king in the closing verses of Matthew chapter number 4. Have you ever wondered what life was like 
for the king while he was here on this earth. Do you ever wonder what his daily routine, his daily activities were? Well, we kind of get a glimpse into the daily life of the Son of God at the, in the closing verses of Matthew chapter number 4. So what I've done, if you'll bear with me for just a moment, I've gone through this text, these final 13 verses of this chapter, and I want to show you from the Word of God Four activities of the king while he was here upon this earth. There were four things that Jesus did. Let me share them with you quickly. First of all, if you look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 12 and following, we find the king, number one, preaching salvation. We find the king preaching salvation. Now we're told in verse number 12 that John the Baptist has been cast. He's been put into prison. Now we know that John didn't go to prison because of tax evasion. He was not placed in prison because of some secret cover-up or corruption in his life. There was no scandal going on. He hadn't misappropriated ministry funds. He went to prison and eventually he lost his head simply because of taking a stand against sin. The Bible said that old John began to preach about the sin of his brother Philip who had taken Herod's wife. Boy, they were shacking up and it was a mess. No, John the Baptist took his bony finger in the face of the king and told him it's not right for him to have his brother's wife. Hey, can God say today still it ain't right for you to have your brother's wife or anybody? If you got a wife, keep your own wife and keep your hands off somebody else's wife. And because of that kind of preaching, old John the Baptist lost his head. He didn't get incarcerated because he'd done something wrong. He was incarcerated in prison because he had done something right. But right after that, when John went to jail, he's finishing the course, the plan. He's fulfilled the scripture. He's passing off the scene. Now the Lord Jesus steps out and the Bible said that he came into Galilee preaching salvation. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to forget that Jesus was not just the savior of the world, he was also a preacher of the word. You know, you can't miss it as you work through the four gospels. You'll often find the Lord Jesus preaching throughout the four gospels. In fact, two times in this clo these closing verses, in verse 17 and also in verse 23, we find the Lord Jesus preaching according to the Bible. Now, I already made mention of the fact in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon that was ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. Jesus was a preacher. I know he was a savior. I know he was a healer. I know he was a miracle worker. But ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was a preacher. What a noble calling for God to reach down from heaven and put his hand on any man. I said man, lie, and call that man to preach. Brother, what a noble calling. What a high calling to be called of God to preach the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you the messengers may change, but the message never does. Oh, John the Baptist is fading off the scene. But, buddy, you may get rid of a John the Baptist, but God will have a Jesus to take his place. This whole world may try to shut the preachers up, but I'm here to tell you, as long as God is alive and as long as God's sitting on the throne, you may get rid of one, but lo and behold, God will send another one in because God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save the world through the foolishness. I thank God he called me to preach. Amen. I'm glad he gave me somewhere to preach. I'm glad he's got some preachers that'll come and let me just get it out of me once in a while. Thank God for preaching. Amen. Jesus came preaching salvation. Now, of course, we know the message of salvation. Over in the book of Acts chapter 20 and verse 21, we read right here, this is the message.
message. Repentance toward God and faith toward, toward our Lord Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the message I declare to you today. Repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, the messengers may change. Brother Gross is gone. Brother Gross is in heaven. God had a brother Tim to step in behind him and he's still preaching repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. And brother, when brother Tim steps aside, when brother Tim goes to heaven, God will have somebody else step right here in this pulpit and if he's right with God, he'll preach repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus. The messengers may change. One may come. One may go. They may fade off the scene. But thank God the message will never change. The message is faith toward God and repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus. The Bible said that's what Jesus preached. Look at verse 17. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and then Mark takes it a step further in Mark chapter 1 and in verse 15 here's what Mark said about it he said the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand repent ye and believe the gospel that's what I want to preach to you this morning repentance and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ I understand we're living in a day when you don't hear much about repentance anymore I mean preachers stand up and say people need to repent and people look back at the preacher and say repent of, repent of what we have so pushed our sin consciousness down into our subconsciousness that people have lost the fact, the reality that we are all sinners. But I want to tell you from the best in this room to the least of us in this room, from the back wall to the front door, I'm preaching to a bunch of sinners this morning. You're listening to a sinner preach this morning. And buddy, the only way I can be right with God is to repent toward God and put my faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad I can tell you as a 16 year old teenager by the help and the grace of God under Holy Ghost conviction I repented toward God and I put faith in the Lord Jesus and I know my name is written there. You know why? Because I repented and I put faith in the Lord Jesus this morning. Amen. But I'll tell you, we're all sinners this morning. The negative side of that is repentance toward God. The positive side toward that is faith in the Lord Jesus. That's the message I declare unto you. You say, preacher, tell us something about the COVID-19. Repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus. Hey, preacher, describe the situation of the world. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus. That's the message this world still needs to hear today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank God for old time. Holy Ghost wrong sound salvation that works repentance in our heart that leads to a change of life and then we put our faith in our trust not in the Baptist church not in baptism not in good works not in church membership but I put my faith in the Lord Jesus and I got born again into God's family amen yes sir preaching salvation well I'm glad to be saved this morning I looked up some synonyms for the word salvation and here are some words that go along with salvation. Deliverance, pardon, redemption, restoration. I looked up the word saved. Here's some synonyms of the word saved. Freed, released, rescued, safe, and secure. 
I'm glad this morning. They ain't much to look at. They ain't much of me. But I'm glad that I've been freed. I'm glad that I've been released. I'm glad that I've been rescued. I'm glad that I've been safe. I'm glad that I've been secured. I've been delivered. I've been pardoned. I've been redeemed. I've been restored. And it's all because of the message of salvation. Jesus came preaching salvation. But number two, look again in our text. Not only did the activity of the king involve preaching salvation, but it also involved calling soul winners. Look in our text. The Bible said this in verse 18. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brethren. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net to the sea, for they were fishers. He saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. At verse 21, going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, John his brother, in a ship of their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately, uh, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Can I tell you something? Jesus went about preaching salvation, but he also went about calling soul winners. Now, let me tell you this, lest you put the cart before the horse here. You say, well, Jesus called these men. This is the moment of their salvation. I disagree with that. I think these men were already saved. Over in John chapter 1, we have the record of Andrew introducing his brother to the Messiah. James and John in, Matthew cha in John chapter 1 have already been saved. saved. So don't ever misunderstand that the call to service comes before the call to salvation. Always remember the call to salvation precedes the call to service. But now let me confuse you for just a minute. The call to salvation never comes without the call to service. Amen. Brother, when God, God saved you, then you get busy serving God. A lot of people put the cart before the horse. They want to start serving God, but they never got saved. Brother, you always get saved first, and then you serve God. And I'll tell you, once you get saved, you'll want to serve God. And here's these boys. I mean, Jesus is calling these boys. They've already been introduced to him. They've already met him. They've already accepted him. They already know who he is. Now he says to them, come on, follow me. I will make you to become fishers of men. Now notice these men in this text. They're just plain old, everyday, common, ordinary people. There's nothing whatsoever spectacular about them. They're not lawyers. They're not doctors. They're not professors. They're not actors or athletes. They're just plain old poor fishermen. Hey, they're just like most of us in this room today. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but later on it was said of these same men that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Hey, I'll tell you what, uh, maybe not you, but when it comes to me, I'm an unlearned and an ignorant man. But aren't you glad God can take just an ordinary person? God can take somebody that's never made a big splash in this world, but God can put his hand upon him. God can put his spirit on the inside of him. God can cleanse him from his sin, save him from a devil's hell, and God can use that old boy or that old girl to bring glory to himself. Ordinary people. God takes ordinary people and does extraordinary things through them. Don't you ever insult God by saying he cannot use you. With all the baggage of your past, with all the meth you may have cooked, with all the liquor you may have drunk, 
with all the immorality you may have committed, I'm so glad I can point you to a king who can save you by his grace, change your desires, change your attitude, change your life, and then use you for his glory. God can do extraordinary things with ordinary people. You look at these old boys here, Peter and Andrew. I mean, did God do anything with them? What about James and John? Did God do anything with them? Well, think about Peter. We know the mess that he made, but God used him on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 folks got saved. He preached the next day on Solomon's porch and 5,000 more got saved. He wrote two books of our New Testament. God used old Peter. Andrew, every time you bump into him in the New Testament, he's bringing people to Jesus. God used him. There's old James. James was considered to be the first pastor of the New Testament church in the city of Jerusalem. God used him. And then there's John wrote five books in our New Testament. The beloved disciple. The disciple that Jesus loved. God used him. And ladies and gentlemen I just want to tell you if God can use a bunch of unlearned ignorant fishermen thank God there might be somewhere for me in the family that God could use me for his glory. He's calling soul winners. He's issuing the call. He's saying follow me. I will make you to become fishers of men. When Jesus passed by these men, he didn't call them to fame. He didn't call them to fortune. He didn't call them to fun. But he did call them to fish. And ladies and gentlemen, God is saying to you and me today, I'm not necessarily calling you to fame. I'm not necessarily calling you to fortune. I'm not necessarily calling you to fun. But I'll tell you what I want you to do. If you'll follow me, I'm calling you to fish. I don't know if it's God's will for you to preach or not, but I know it's God's will for you to fish. I don't know if it's God's will for you to teach or not, but I know it's God's will for you to fish. I don't know if it's God's will for you to marry that person or that person, but I know it's God's will for you to fish. I don't know if God's called you to this profession or that profession, but thank God, I know one thing. He's calling us to fish. And I got it in my mind in these crazy days of COVID-19. There are people that are looking for answers. There's more people that would get saved if they just knew how to get saved. And ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is saying, I'm preaching salvation. Now I'm calling me some soul winners. Follow me. We got some news we got to go tell. I read, I read this being Memorial Day weekend, but I read this actually happened back in the days of World War II. There was a young man, like so many young men that marched off to war. He'd been gone for about nine months when word came back that he had been killed in action. The Red Cross notified his pastor, and his pastor had the sad responsibility of going to the young man's home and telling his mom and daddy about what had happened, and he did, and they wept, and his word got out in that small town, the whole town, little town, <coughs> began to weep. His body was never found. He was presumed dead. Later on, however, it was discovered that he had just gotten, had not been killed, but he got cut off from his troop. He was found in another location with another troop. He was still alive, so they had to get word back to his mom and his daddy. So the Red Cross contacted the pastor. The pastor then had the responsibility of going back to that mom and daddy and saying, hey, your boy that you thought was dead, he's not dead at all. That boy is alive. Now can you imagine that pastor sitting, sitting on his thumbs on his laws and saying, well, I gotta mow the yard, rake the leaves and clean out the gutters. I'll get over there eventually. Can you imagine that pastor saying, well, I gotta go to the hospital 
hospital and visit there. I got to make some radio broadcast. I got to go preach revival out of town. But when I get back, I'll go tell that. I don't see that. I see that pastor turning off right then and there, running down out of that mom and daddy's house saying, hey, your boy that you thought was dead, I just got word he's alive. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the good news that we have to declare to a lost world, the Savior that died on the cross and was buried. He's not dead. We just got the word. He's alive and alive forevermore. That's our responsibility. That's what we've been called to do. He's preaching salvation. He's calling soul winners. But there's a third thing that he's doing in this text. Look again. He's not only preaching salvation. He's not only calling soul winners. But look again in our text. He is attending services. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, look at verse 23. The Bible said Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, we know that the habit, custom, manner, routine of the life of the Lord Jesus was to go to church. We know that. We're told in the Bible specifically that one of the activities that our king did while he was here on this earth, man, he went to the house of God. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible said when he came to Nazareth, that's where he'd been brought up at. The Bible said, uh, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up for, notice that phrase, as his custom was. It was the manner, it was the routine, it was the habit of his life to go. I could read that like this, that he went into the church on the Lord's day and stood up for to read. Now, wait a minute. Jesus was the Son of God. You believe that? Say amen. Jesus was God the Son. If you believe that, say amen. Now, if Jesus was the Son of God, and if Jesus was God the Son, and yet he felt it important and necessary and made a priority out of his life to attend the services of the house of God in spite of their deadness and the bickering and the fussing and the fighting, if he went to the house of God, how much more should it be the custom, the manner, the habit, the routine of your life in my life to find ourselves, make a priority out of our lives of attending the house of God. And I tell you, I know our custom's been kind of interrupted here lately, hasn't it? You'll have to forgive us this morning, and yet don't forgive us. I told Miss Marcy this morning, she apologized before church for crying during that song. I said, don't apologize for crying. Apologize for not crying. But man, it's been dry in here. These chairs don't say amen. I mean, I've been preaching to four walls and a camera. I mean, it's been quiet in here. I'm telling you, these singers have been singing to, to four walls and empty chairs. Brother, it's time we head back to church again. Amen. Hey, the doors are open, friend. Hey, don't you let what's happened over the last, don't you slip into that, that habit, that custom, that manner of your life where you're going to sit at home and watch it on the computer in your pajamas while you eat Captain Crunch with crunch berries. Friend, you need to head out to the house of God. It's time for revival. It's time to pick up the pieces. It's time to move on. It's time to pray. It's time to seek God. We need God in America and the hope of America. America is not in the White House. The hope of America is in the church house. Don't lay out a church. Come to the house of God. He's a services man. And if he needed it, and he was God the son, how much more do I need it? Who am just a son of God? I double dog dare you to show up tonight. 
That's pretty bad when somebody double-dog dares you to do something. I double-dog dare you to show up tonight. I know the tendency to get a little lazy. I get all that. I know it's probably been hard watching it on the computer. I get all, I know it's not been the real. The thing that I've heard is it's just not like being there. I get all that. But now we are here. Hey, we're here now. Thank God we're back together again. Hey, hopefully we're going to be better than ever. Hey, hopefully we've got a little taste of what it's like without church. And hopefully it's just made us real hungry for church. I trust we'll come back tonight and be praying and seeking the face of God and beg God for his power in the old time way and for revival and the fire of God to fall once again. We need church. Bunch of, excuse my, I'll call them what my little granddaughter calls them. She don't call them idiots, she calls them Indians. We got a bunch of Indians in America that think church is non-essential. I tell you what, bless your heart, we're more essential than the ABC store. Hey, we're more essential than the hemp store. Hey, we're more essential than Walmart, Lowe's, Target, Home Depot. I'll tell you what, I need what I get right here. It's absolutely essential for my life, brother, to go forward. I've got to have God. Crazy governor said he didn't want to create some kind of mental health crisis, so he's going to leave the ABC stores open. Hey, buddy, that's not preventing it. That's, that's egging it on. That's adding to it. Thank God we got something right here that's not, a, that's not a problem. It's the solution. It's the answer. Thank God it's the remedy for what's going on in America. I'm saying all that. Say this. Come on to church tonight. So he's, he's, he's preaching salvation. He's calling soul winners. He's attending services. And finally, look at this. We see our king healing sicknesses. Now look in our text. Look at verse 23 and verse 24. And we're done. But the Bible said that as Jesus moved about in the routine of his life, that he was not only preaching salvation and attending services and calling soul winners, but according to verse 23... He's healing sicknesses. Look at that. The Bible said he's healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. His fame went throughout Syria, all Syria. They brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy. And then look at those last four words. And he healed them. You say, preacher, what does all that have to do? Well, I think you know, I know that in the Bible, sin... Sickness in the Bible is, is, a, is a type of sin. Oftentimes throughout the Bible, God likens sin to a sickness. Read Isaiah chapter 1, talking about the nation of Israel. God said from the sole of their feet to the crown of their head, they're, they're a one putrefying soul. They're sick. And, and, and we all know this, that, that sin, sickness was brought on by sin. The reason people get sick is because of sin. Before sin in the garden, there was no death. There was no sickness. Now, all sickness in this world is a result of universal sin, not personal sin. Not everybody gets sick because of personal sin. Everybody gets sick, however, because of original sin, universal sin. 
Boy, I got to be careful. I had somebody got mad at me, left the church one time because her mama was sick and she died, and the preacher said she had sin in her life. I'm not saying that. I am saying it's original sin that brings on sickness. It's not always personal sin, though sometimes personal sin does bring on sickness. Can I get a witness on that? So here we go. The Bible said here's Jesus, and he's encountering all types of sicknesses. And I'm done, but every one of these things that's said here is a picture of sin. Look at this. The Bible said there in verse 23, he's healing all manner of sickness. Verse 24, it talks about diverse diseases. I see in that a picture of leprosy. Boy, leprosy is an ugly disease. How it eats away the faculties of a person's body, the putrefying smell, the stench, the isolation, the loneliness that goes along with that. Can I say this? Boy, that's a picture of the ugliness of sin. Sin is ugly. I know our world portrays sin as something jovial, something pleasurable. I mean, when's the last time you rode down Highway 52 and saw a beer billboard uh, with an old boy with bl a bloated belly and yellow skin because he's pickled his liver? You don't see that. They don't show us that. They always show us he's got two or three women on his side. And, man, he's having said, don't get no better than this. They're right. It's all downhill from there. Sin is ugly, friend. Sin is ugly. Hey, when's the last time one of these marijuana stores, these hemp stores, when's the last time they put a picture up of a boy who's fried his brain on bad drugs and he's living the rest of his life in a rubber room? They never show you the ugliness of sin. Sin's ugly. Then he talks about not only the ugliness of sin, but he talks, number two, uh, about the craziness of sin. Look again at verse 24. He talks about people that are tormented, possessed with devils and lunatics. I'll tell you, sin makes you crazy. Don't it? A person who is following sin, they're not thinking clearly. They're crazy. I mean, stop and think about it. Here's an old boy went out and got drunk last night. He's hugged up to a commode, throwing his guts up, and he gets up off of all that out of that situation. Man, this is living. Living? That's crazy. I mean, you stop and think about the craziness of it all. How sin is crazy. Then he speaks about the weakness of sin. Look again at verse 24. The Bible, talk, he talks about those that had the palsy, the ugliness, the craziness, the weakness of sin. Boy, I'll tell you what, sin will make you weak. I've seen these old boys driving these big old bulldozers, front-end loaders, whatever, swinging them wrecking balls, big old boys' arms, big as my legs, yellow hats on, tough men. Man, they'll swing that ball. They'll carry off that stuff. They operate that heavy machinery. And yet when it comes to a little old bottle about that big, they cower before it. I've seen these big old strong burly men, I mean, man, fight five or six men at one time, but they're, they cower before a woman. Sin makes you weak, friend but I'm glad I got the answer for all that because the Bible said in the last verse 24, last phrase, that he healed them. Can I tell you something? Jesus was, Jesus is, and Jesus always will be the cure for sin sickness. It never has changed. I can't dip you in the baptistry and cure your sin problem. You can't come down here and shake my hand and sign a card and that get rid of your sin problem. I can't send you to Walmart and get rid of a sin problem, but bless your heart, I can introduce you to the king, the king who became a servant, who died on the cross, went to the grave, and three days later, 72 hours later, got up from the dead. Forty days later, went back to heaven, but said, hey, I want to tell you something. I'm going for now, but I'm coming back. You need to meet that king. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you.